0: So this morning, so the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. We then, as workers together, this is the Apostle Paul with his travel companions, fellow apostles. He says, we then as workers together with him, workers with the Lord, beseech you, the Corinthian Christians, also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. All right, everybody say it after me, receive not. The grace of God in vain. In other words, what the Apostle Paul was about to speak about in this chapter and early into the next chapter was the fact that you can receive God's grace in vain. That's why he says, receive not the grace of God in vain. Okay, is everybody with me? And so he says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, you can receive God's grace for salvation in vain. So let's carry on and explain it. So Paul says this in verse 2. I'm reading from the NIV. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of my salvation, I helped you. In other words, you got born again. You gave your life to Jesus. Is that okay? And he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What Paul is trying to say is, the same grace that was there for you to get saved is continuing, the same favor is continuing with you right now for you to live out the grace that you got on the day you got saved. So Paul then goes, we put no stumbling blocks in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. And then Paul begins to talk about the genuineness of their apostleship in the rest of the chapter. Is that okay? He talked about, it sounds like a biography of a pastor's life. Should I read it for you? It says this. We didn't put stumbling blocks in anyone's parts. So our ministry will be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship, distresses, in beatings. Hmm. Or maybe not physically, but
1: <laughs> verbally,
0: I've had those imprisonments and riots. Well, I haven't been imprisoned and the riots have been minimal, but hard work, yes. Sleepless nights, yes. Hunger, yes. period, yes. Understanding, patience, kindness in the Holy Spirit, insincere love in truthful speech in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right and the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report. I've quite a few of those. Good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors. known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I know the apostles, Apostle Paul had it a lot worse than me, but I had it pretty tough. Okay, so I'm teasing. So he says in verse 11, now we're going to put it in the King James translation. So in the King James translation, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged for you. You are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak unto you, my children, be ye also enlarged. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? So the message this morning that I want to share with you is, I've entitled it, Be Enlarged. Be ye yourselves enlarged. Be enlarged. So what Paul was saying was this, and we'll go on into the rest of the chapter. In Corinthians, basically, there were two things. There were false apostles that were coming, and yet these people were discrediting Paul and his motives. And he was saying, our hearts are completely open to you. We've poured out our lives for you. We have given everything for you. You need to go back and read this chapter. It's very powerful. Okay, I'm going to just touch on it this morning. And he said, we've poured out our lives for you, yet there is no reciprocation. Our hearts are so open to you. We've given you everything. We withhold nothing. But your heart is close to us. So he started off talking about don't receive the grace of God in vain. How did it come to be about Him? And then he talks about the fact that your hearts are closed to us. And he says, please be enlarged, have the capacity, take charge of your own heart. And open your hearts to us and to our message. Yeah. Because we are not impostors. Yeah. And so this whole passage here very much is about Paul, but it almost, in my understanding, becomes a parallel to the Corinthian Christians' attitude towards God. Because they're saying, you're blocking us out, and we are servants of God, therefore you are blocking God out. Yeah. He says, so don't receive the grace of God in vain. Amen? So everybody say, be enlarged. Be enlarged. Tell the person next to you, you know, be enlarged in your heart. So listen to what Paul says in verse 14. And I'm going to switch over to the NIV. So the NIV says, verse 14, now he launches into it. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. It's very interesting that the apostle Paul talks about being unequally yoked. So let's put it in the King James translation again. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel or an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. So the Apostle Paul, and um, this is what I want to share with you this morning. The Apostle Paul was talking about these Corinthian Christians, and I want to give you some points to ponder. And um, he was sharing with them, basically saying, God has given you everything. The only logical, natural response is for you to respond to God and give Him everything. So give Him your heart, give Him your life, serve Him, because in that sense, in Christ, God laid down His life for you and poured Himself out for you. So Paul says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. So now, Paul says it in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now often this verse used to refer to marriages. As a Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. Now, I'm going to just say it, and then I'm going to qualify it. Is that okay? I want to say it, but this verse is not talking about marriages. It's talking about don't go down to the level and the practices of unbelievers, and that's why he talks about idolatry And he talks about unrighteousness. And he talks about a style of worship. And basically what Paul is saying, he's not saying that a Christian cannot marry a non-Christian. In this verse. Yet if we take the principle, it is wisdom. Is that okay, church? Okay. And so be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But I want to just tell you that sometimes, you know, you could be married to a Christian and be unequally yoked. It depends on their background. It depends on where they're living. It depends on how they're living. It depends on their upbringing. It depends on a lot of things. True. Is that okay? Yeah. But you can marry. I mean, you know, Amy was going out with a young man before she met Kevin. And uh, he had given his heart to the Lord. He was in the church. But I tell you, that would have been an unequally yoked relationship. Yeah. Yeah. He would have destroyed her and broken her. Yeah. So dad had to do an intervention. Sometimes interventions are necessary. Amen? Okay. And so it can be that. Sometimes, you know, you will say to a Christian businessman, no, no, you can't be in business with a non-Christian businessman because you're unequally yoked. Well, I want to tell you something, that very often Christian businessmen have got worse ethics than non-Christian businessmen. Unfortunately, it's true. I mean, I know businessmen who say, we will not employ Christians. And they will say, and I will not do business with a Christian businessman. Somebody who puts Jesus as Lord of this business over their door and on their letterheads, we steer clear from them because they're the biggest crooks. Now that is a sad reflection on the church. And so be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers means also if you're going to business with a Christian businessman. I mean, I've had businessmen in this church going to business with their friends and their friends are in this church. And the friends do them in, yeah. in the same church. Yeah. It's scary. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 We're not saying, agreeing with that, but I'm just saying you understand what I'm saying. And so be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But Paul here is talking about that very much. And so he is basically quoting from an Old Testament law in the book of Deuteronomy. So listen, Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10 says, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Now I just want to give you some encouragement. Just be careful that the person in your life is not an ass. And if you're an ass, make sure she's not a cow. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm I'm just joking. But you understand the principle. Amen? Amen. And then that's why in marriage relationships, there's a courtship period first to make sure that you're not getting married to an ass. That's why you have courtship, to learn, to find out about. So the whole principle of that is one person, if you hook a donkey in with an ox, guess who's going to be doing most of the work? The ox. What is the ass going to be doing? He's going to be being dragged along and stubborn and digging his heels in. So the furrows won't be straight. Amen? So that's why I'm so much better since being married to Bev. Maybe I was an ass. Who knows? I now i become an ox. Woo. So listen, it's a principle of God. Don't become unequally yoked. So when Paul is talking about this, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to show the video, it doesn't mean that we don't have friends in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't befriend people in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't have a circle of friends that are unbelievers. It doesn't mean that at all. It means the exact opposite. Is that okay? It means to go into a yoked type of relationship, a partner type of relationship with people in the world. We have to live in the world. We have to have contact in the world. We have to do business in the world. Very often, people in the world have got more integrity than Christians. Very often, more often than not, people in the world understand business principles better than Christians. A lot of Christians don't do due diligence. They don't go and study business. They think, because I've got a prophecy or a desire to do business, and I just pray about it, and I go... That, you know, it's going to all prosper. But it's not because there's business principles. Are you with me, church? So we need to make friends. We do need to try and win them. But, you know, the difference is we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't have our origination in the world. And, And it basically boils down to this, and this is what I used to say to my children. The big criteria is which way does the influence flow? In your relationship with them, are you being influenced by them? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And so it's okay if the influence is flowing from you to them, but not the other way. And this is what was happening with the Corinthian Christians. So we're living with them, but we're not living like them in their lifestyle. So Paul says it, first part of verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols. And you know, the first of the 10 commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. And so basically what Paul was alluding to was that you're taking on their lifestyle and their style of worship. And of course, in the New Testament, idolatry becomes something completely different. You know that greed is listed by Paul as idolatry. Sexual immorality is idolatry. So John Piper, one of the great uh, modern theologians, says this, it starts in the heart, craving, wanting, enjoying, being satisfied with by anything that you treasure more than God. This is an idol. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? And so, in other words, associating with people that have totally wrong priorities and you start to pick up on their priorities and imbibe their priorities. Now, Pastor John, why are you saying this? We're all good and we're great and we're living for God and, you know, all of us here on ACF. Well, it's all for the people online, as you know. And so just for you to understand. But the reason why I'm sharing this with you this morning, and if it doesn't apply, it does apply to you as a warning or as an encouragement. And that is this. If we want more of God, i.e. in the form of revival, then we need to be enlarged in our hearts and reciprocate to a God who's intending to pour out more grace And more mercy upon us. Come on, church. Because revival is a whole lot more of God than what we have now. It's a whole lot more of His power. It's a whole lot more of His blessing. It's a whole lot more of His grace upon our lives. And so I'm just sharing this as a sounding thing for us to say, if that is what we want, there needs to be an enlargement in our hearts to Him. And so, you know, it's amazing to me how many people... Cry out, how many Christians cry out, and I travel a lot, and I have traveled a lot in my life, and they cry out to God, they will snot in tears, laying on the floor, weeping, oh God, revival, and all of this kind of thing. And then when you get to talk to them, they live their lives the way they want to live their lives. They don't live their lives anywhere close to any of the principles of God. Yet they're the ones that are crying out the most God, would you move? God, would you pour out revival? And you know, that's a short circuit in our brains. In our understanding. Come on, church. So Paul says it in the second verse, Second Corinthians 6.16. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. Andre was just sharing yesterday with me after prayer meeting. And when he was sharing, as he was speaking to me, my mind was running back to many years ago, to when I was in my teens, To this verse, as he was speaking, my mind ran back a couple of decades, only about two, to when I was about 16, 17. And I was laying in bed one night after a very powerful meeting, a powerful service where God had really touched my heart. And I was laying in bed, just weeping, still in the presence of God. And I said, God, I was laying there, the lights were, I had my hands up, the tears were running down my face, and I said, God. I want you to use me. And he quoted these verses to me. And these are verses that I have tried. I've always succeeded. I've tried to live by all of my life. But as Andre was just sharing with me yesterday, these verses just began to run through my mind again. It was as if God was reminding me of the thing that launched me into the ministry decades ago, and he was saying to me, this still holds true if you want revival. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Wow. So, you know, I hope you still say amen by the end of it. But this is what Andre was sharing with me. He was just doing a little bit of maths and a bit of reading. And he was saying, is it incredible? There's two and a bit, let's stretch it to three chapters where God describes creation, the creation of the whole world. But then when he gives Moses the vision for the tabernacle, this is not including the temple and then the next temple and then the New Testament, us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, because then that's the rest of the Bible. But just the tabernacle in the wilderness, where first of all, in detail, the Holy Spirit records God saying to Moses, this is how you to build it, this is how you do this, you do this. Then when they come to build it, we've got it in detail of how they manufactured the equipment. But the creation of the whole world Yeah, you know, maybe three chapters. You could actually yeah. pin it down to a few verses actually, That's really. Yeah. But sixteen chapters are devoted to a tent in the wilderness because it's set up it was the principle of first mention. And God was saying, this tabernacle will be the principles of it. And the truth of it is what will be true in the New Testament. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will live with you. I will dwell with you. And I will walk among you. Amen. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. And so the whole thing comes. Now the Apostle Paul is writing to these Corinthian Christians who were lacking no spiritual gifts they were the most spiritually gifted church of all the churches in the new testament they were the naughtiest but i mean man they could operate in all the gifts but they needed a flip in good hiding sometimes and so paul had to deal with it and now he's writing to them in the second letter and he's basically saying now open your hearts to us because you've received god's grace for salvation Don't let it be in vain. Because you're compromising on principles of God's word and you are becoming unequally yoked. You know that there was elaborate rules for the religion, for the serving of God with the Old Testament tabernacle. Elaborate rules. Elaborate. I mean, you try and work it out. They had to have a family of priests and a tribe of Levites to interpret it and to keep the people serving God in the correct way. Do you even know that one day God was walking amongst them and then he went to Moses and he said, okay, listen, you need to speak to the Israelites because everywhere I walk, there's poo. My words. There's poo. There's poo everywhere. So listen to what he says. This is God's instructions designate a place outside the camp because everyone was just popping out their tent, yeah. you know, and there was a little pile there with the toilet paper, you know, like you sometimes yeah. see at the laybys and things like that. You know, it's disgusting. People stopping and urinating on the side of the road. I don't understand. They drive past the petrol station and urinate on the side of the road. It just gets me. Yeah. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. This is God speaking. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. Listen, for the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Say, oh, wow, do say something. God saying, I don't even want to see your excrement. Exposed. And God says, if I see anything indecent in your camp, I will turn away from you. He says, because I walk amongst you to deliver your enemies to you. Church, you know what I, I sometimes cannot understand, Christians, sometimes. Yeah. Forgive me for being so honest. Sometimes I cannot understand Christians. You know, in the Bible, there's a thing we're not under judgment, but there is a thing cause and effect. There is a thing sowing and reaping. There is. Amen. And Christians, I don't understand. You know, I've got to pray, I've got to counsel, I've got to advise. You know, they want me to fast, they want me to prophesy something different. But they want to live their lives the way they want to live their lives, blatantly disregard the principles of God, and when the wheels fall off, I must fix it. Or there's something wrong with God. Why doesn't he love them? And you know, very often Christians are not good at connecting dots. I think I've shared this with you before. ever you go and you get those dot pictures, start there and join the dots. And when you join the dots, lo and behold, here's a picture. And very often, Christians don't join the dots in their lives, and they go like, what is this happening? Join the dots, join the dots. Sometimes, join the dots. And maybe you will discover that there's something that you're not doing that you should be doing. Now, that night, when I was 16 or 17 years old, however old I was, and I was weeping out and saying, God, you've got to use me, he spoke to me these verses and immediately put a finger on one area in my life. And he said, wherefore, come out from among them and touch not the unclean things, says the Lord, and I will receive you. And immediately I repented of that thing. And I said, God, that's it. And the very next day, somebody came to me and wanted to know how to get saved. The very next day. And literally, I traced back full-time ministry to that day. But actually, it started that night. When I say to God, God, just use me unreservedly, I'm totally available, I surrender my life. And God spoke these verses yeah. to me. Yeah. Are you with me, Church? Yes. You all follow? Yes. I know this is a hard message, but just understand it's not for you, yeah. it's for someone else. <laughs> okay, so relax. Now you can shout Amen really loud. Yeah. You know? Okay. And so so the apostle Paul. How many of you have ever heard, cleanliness is next to godliness? That first expression, that proverb is not in the Bible, but it's derived from the Bible. And there was an English scientist and philosopher, Sir Francis Bacon. And in his book, his treatise, his writings, his studies, called The Advancement of Learning, which he wrote in 1605, he says this. Cleanness of body was ever esteemed to proceed from a due reverence to God, to society, and to ourselves. Mm. And that's where he came up with the proverb, cleanliness is next to godliness. Wow. I love one young man came to Reynold Bonker one year and stood with him after the crusade. He was telling us the story in Zimbabwe. And uh, I think it was either 1980 or 1983. And he said, this young man came up and he said to him, Evangelist Bonker, Pastor Bonker, he said, for many years, he said, I don't have the presence of God in my life. He says, I try. He said, I try. I pray. I go to church. And he said, I just cannot find the presence of God. Mm. So Reynard Bonker paused for a moment and he said to him, young man, when was the last time you felt God's presence? And The young man didn't even need seconds to remember. And he bowed his head and looked down ashamedly and he said, one day I was walking in the streets of the city and I came outside the door of a brothel and I just felt this overwhelming urge to go in and take a prostitute. But I was a Christian, so I said to God, God, you can't go in there, so please just wait outside here for me. And I went in. And he says, and when I came out, I couldn't find God. So he prayed with the young man, and he said, I want you to imagine now in your mind you're standing at the same door, but this time you ask God for forgiveness. You repent and ask him for forgiveness. And in your mind, you don't go in there. And he prayed with the young man. He led him in a prayer of repentance, asking God for forgiveness, proclaimed God's forgiveness. And the young man lifted his hands and started weeping. He said, I found the presence of God. (laughs) See, when we are pleading with God for revival, but we break principles, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Because we are yoking ourselves incorrectly with something else instead of yoking ourselves to God and to His principles. Is that okay? And so, as we come to a close rapidly, <laughs> He says in Second Corinthians 6 verse 16, He says, And they shall be my people. So, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Second Corinthians 6 verse 16 again because i read the first part for ye are the temple of the living god as god has said i will dwell in them and walk in them and i will be their god and the last part is and they shall be my people now were the corinthians not the people of god they were the people of god they had received the grace to be the people of god okay church they were born again They were saved. If they were to die, they would be with Jesus. But Paul is talking about living out the life that that grace initiated. There are so many Christians that are living subpar, below level, normal Christianity because of their partnership with wrong principles and with the world. So in other words, this is what Adam Clark says. One commentator, if they take me for their God, their supreme and eternal good, I will take them for my people and instruct, enlighten, defend, provide, support, and bless them as if I had none else to care for in all of creation. That's what it means for God to take us as his people. You know when you raise your children, you love them and you love them equally. And one child rebels, maybe even moves out of the house you don't stop loving them. You love them just the same as the child who's in the house and who's present and is obedient and compliant. But that person, that other child, has put themselves outside of the experience of your love. They're not experiencing what the other child is experiencing because they've removed themselves. And this is what Paul is saying. He was saying, enlarge yourself, open your heart, and come back to God, and come back into the experience of being His people. Amen? Amen? And this is what we want, amen, for ACF. This is what we want for our church. Is that right? And so he says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17, now it's our responsibility He says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Now, remember that many times when the apostles were writing, they were harking back, they were referring back to Old Testament scriptures. And the scripture that the apostle Paul was referring to was Isaiah 52 verse 11, where God was speaking prophetically to the children of Israel who were in Babylon in exile. And he was saying to them, and this is what he said to them, depart ye, depart ye, Get ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. In other words, don't bring any of the stuff of Babylon with you. Get out and come back to the promised land. He says, be ye clean that bear the vessels of God. So he was talking in particular to the priests and the Levites, and we are a company of priests and Levites, and he was saying, come back and don't touch unholy things. The only thing you to carry out is the vessels of God for the service of God. Amen? Amen. And so that's the only thing that we maintain and bring out with us. And he says, and touch not the unclean thing. In, in the Old Testament, many things were regarded as unclean. Yeah. You can go and have a look. But basically, the whole of Numbers chapter 19 lists things that are unclean. Animals were unclean. Yeah. There was a lot of lepers were unclean. You know, and when Jesus touched a leper... He should have been unclean. The only thing is when he touched them, they became clean. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what upset the Pharisees. You were not to touch a dead body. But when he touched the funeral procession, the bear, on which the young man was lying, you know, he touched it and they stood still. They didn't stand still because he touched it. They stopped it because like, ah, he's touching a dead body. He's unclean. But of course, he touched it and said, young man, arise. <laughs> and he sits up. So, well, he's not dead. He's alive. So I'm not unclean. I'm clean. You know, Amen. so that should be our association yeah. with the world. True. Death should not pass on us, but life should pass on to them. Amen. Is that okay? And so Amen. it says that in Numbers 19, verse 13 whoever touches the body of anybody that is dead and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. And there was a ritual process of sprinkling you now seven days if you touch the dead body before you could come in, because there is contamination from a dead body. It's a very That's practical awesome. verse. Yeah. Is that Okay. And so God said seven days, but the priest has to cleanse you with water. And on the seventh day, the priest can say, all right, now you're clean. But you're separated. So Paul is talking about spiritually many things cause you to participate or become contaminated with death. And, of course, sin, any sin is one of them. That's why it's the law of sin and death. So when you associate with things that are sin, you are being contaminated with things that are death. And that's why with Samson, when he took the Nazaritic vow, John the Baptist was raised a Nazarite. The implication is Jesus was also a Nazarite. But Samson took the Nazaritic vow. His parents were told by the angel, don't cut his hair. And he is not to take of any fruit of the vine. And he's not to touch a dead body. That's the Nazaritic vow. The vow of a Nazarite. Why did they have to grow their hair long? Because the hair is the crown your crown of glory on your head. And so when your hair is long, basically what you're showing is God is my strength. And so with the Nazaritic vow, of course, the first thing that we saw is when Samson went down to the feast, it tells us that he went through a vineyard. Hmm. So that was the first principle he broke. You see, they were not to have any fermented drink, anything from the vine, because it spoke of that kind of lifestyle, that lascivious lifestyle that goes with drinking. And of course, then he took the honey out of the body of the lion. Right. Remember? So he touched a dead body. It should have been unclean. The last thing he did was he gave away the secret to, um, to Delightful, yeah. I mean Delilah and said, okay, you can cut my hair. And then his strength went. And so, and uh, you've never heard the story about Samson and Delightful. <laughs> yeah, Delilah. Okay. And so he broke principles and he lost his strength. That's right. Is everybody following me? Yeah. And so, is there a Nazarite vow for us as New Testament Christians? Yeah, yeah Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brethren, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. This is your reasonable, most rational, most logical, most appropriate Act of worship. Yeah. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing right. of your mind. Amen. What will the results be? Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. When we come out from among them, we touch not the unclean thing. God says again, I will receive you. Amen. I think that's really awesome, isn't it? it is. But you know, things that produce death can be many things. Sin, broken principles, toxic people, wrong relationships, negativity, negative situations, divisive and offended people. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible is very clear about people who cause division inside churches. You know, there is such a thing as church discipline. Mm -hmm. Paul says, warn a divisive person, church, warn them once, warn them a second time, after that, have nothing to do with it. Well, that's what Paul says. We tolerate divisive people. Are you all following me? What about the young man that slept with the stepmom? Paul said he's unrepentant. Put him out of the church. All of you together be united. You inflict discipline on him, and you hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh in the hopes that he comes back to repentance. And it's amazing to me when people leave the church offended, Everybody wants to buddy-buddy with them because they want you to limp with them in their offense. Being judgmental and not merciful is death. And there's many things, many things. But anyway, I just want to leave that and Jesus says, and I will receive you. Not, Not, and I will love you again. He still loves us. Not, I will start to love you again because I stopped loving you. Not that. No, no, no. What he is saying is, My first act of grace was to save you, your adoption. But my intention is, in subsequent grace, is to bring you into the full manifestation of sons and daughters, mature sons and daughters as adoptees of that grace. You are sons and daughters of God, but He wants to treat you as such. He wants you to become manifest as a son. And daughter of God was subsequent. Right, are you all listening? And he says, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So listen, that's the process. Come out, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a God to you, I'll be your father, you'll be my sons and daughters. So then we kind of end because that's the end of chapter six now. Second Corinthians chapter six. Okay, that's the end. But you know, the guy who put in chapters and verses was riding a donkey. When he wrote chapters and verses. And sometimes the pen slipped. Because actually the kind of passage doesn't end there. It goes on into the next passage. So chapter 7 verse 1 says this. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now that God spoke to me quite some centuries ago. As a young man. Saying to God, I make myself available, God, please will you use me? And immediately put a finger in the area of my life, and he said, clean this up. And then these verses started running through my mind. Don't be unequally yoked. And then he said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You know. And then he said this purify yourself with these promises. What promises? The promise. The promise that I will be your God and you shall be my people. The promise that I will receive you. The promise that and I will be a father unto you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God says, now purify yourselves. Now look at that. He says, from all filthiness of the flesh and the soul. In other words, all physical things, things we do physically, Number one, and from the filthiness of spirit is what goes on in our minds. He says, clean yourself up because you got the promises that I will receive you. I will be a father to you. I will be a God to you. You will be my sons and daughters. You will be my people. So let me just remind you, God says, I walk among you. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm among you. So notice it says perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So when you got born again, God made you holy, the righteousness of God. Now you perfect holiness. Yeah. So aim for perfection. At least you'll achieve excellence. So the end of the story is this the more of God we want, the more of us He requires. The more we want Him to pour Himself out, the more surrender. He's looking for in us, the more availability, the more obedience, not dragging feet obedience, you know, like, okay, come on, I'll do it if you say so, you know, but it'd be like, yes, Lord, you're God, you know, instant obedience. Church, we can't live the way we want to live and have God the way we want to have God. We got to choose. It's one or the other. It's not both. So revival is a very calculated thing. Jesus said, sit down and work out the cost if you want to be a disciple. Work out the cost if you want to build a tower. That's what business people do. They sit down and work, count the cost. Work out the cost of revival. Then figure, am I prepared to pay this? Am I prepared to live the way God wants me to live? Amen. Amen. So in closing, in 1994, we had such a move of God right into 95. And then it always happens, you know, there was a wicked witch in the church, a Jezebel with a husband, Ahab. And they did their best to mess up the revival, but they were sent by the enemy to mess up the revival. And they succeeded. They succeeded in taking out half the church. And, um, you know, the thing is, When people leave like that and leave offended, when people leave a church like our church and they're offended now, I do my best to win them. I will do anything to win them because I know the consequences. I've done this for about 40 years, ministry. So I've got a list of testimonies like this. You do yourself harm. I see the consequences and it breaks my heart. I beg people almost, to be reconciled to God and reconciled to the body of believers. I beg them. So there's a long track record that I have, names and of people that I can tell you about. Some have repented, and their lives have changed. Some have not, and chaos follows their lives. And there's principles we've got to understand. But anyway, it was an extremely painful time, extremely painful for us, devastating time. And I remember I was broken hearted. I was weeping. I kind of thought it was the end of the ministry. They had so, so much lies, so much discord that every Sunday when I stood up here, those people that were left, I was on trial. They were the jury. And I was every Sunday. I could feel the vibe coming from the majority of the congregation. You know, Is it true what they said about this guy? And I had to stand up week after week and preach and just you know walk the road. Of just walking out my integrity and my innocence and things like this. And it was a terrible time for more than a year. It was terrible. And then slowly but surely, the church was able to regain confidence in me. I mean, I tried giving up the church, but nobody wanted to take it. <laughs> That's the way of God volunteering you. Well, it looks like it's just you, my son. So guess you're going to have to carry on, boy. You know, and I walked back, and things had just started to change. And I remember stopping outside of our yard and I had to run in to get something from the house. And I was walking very quickly into the yard and as clear as anything, an almost audible voice, God spoke to me and He says, And I'd been pondering, you know, all the mess of the past few years. And I almost, in my head, an almost audible voice, God said, So, John, do you still want revival? And I actually paused. And then I carried on walking, and I said, yes, Lord, more than ever before. Because I'm much wiser now. Amen? Amen. Come on, church. So let's enlarge ourselves to the heart of God. Let's not receive His grace in vain, and walk the principles of His word. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You could give the Lord a hand. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. So the Lord says, Don't be uniquely. Wherefore come out from among them, says the Lord. He says, Touch not the unclean thing. Be ye separate, says the Lord. There's no fellowship between Christ and Belial. No fellowship between light and darkness. No fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness. And, and so we just walk away from anything that's death any negativity, any toxicity, any where we just walk away from it and say, God, we turn our, our backs. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me this yesterday. I don't know, more than 40 years ago, you spoke these words to me, and that was at the beginning of my ministry. That's, that's where it all turned. That's where it all changed. That's how I ended up here in South Africa, from Zimbabwe. Lord, and I've walked that That's how I itinerated so many countries around the world. Father, it was just like you spoke to me again, like you did that day when you said, so John, do you still want revival? It was like yesterday you spoke to me and said, this holds true if you want revival. So Father, we calculate. I say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I say yes. Lord, would you just come and pour out your spirit in ACF? Lord, we refuse to receive your grace in vain. Lord, we received initial grace for adoption. Lord, we want to receive grace for perfection, for manifestation, for greater glory in our lives, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you will be our God, we shall be your people, you will be our Father. We'll be your sons and your daughters. Thank you that we have these great and precious promises to purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So Lord, I now speak blessing on your people. Father, I want to thank you that they have these great, these precious promises. Peter says that by them we might participate in the nature of God, in the divine nature. So, Lord, let your blessing rest upon them, upon their families, in their homes, in their workplace. Father, I want to thank you that we will make friends with the world to win them to Jesus. And, Lord, the influence will flow from us to them, they'll be transformed in Jesus mighty name we all agreed with those on live stream and shouted amen amen